Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Kieran Kurtala. If you love this podcast, I have a feeling that you will love N Squared, our premier event in Atlanta, Georgia, which features thought leaders, innovators, and education disruptors and reimagine learning itself. You can attend this event by being in person in Atlanta, Georgia, or remotely from wherever you are. You can find out more information at nsquared.events. That's nsquared.events. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Illuminate Higher Education Podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Kuritala. I have with me a very, very exciting and probably entertaining guest for us, Ryan Palmer. Ryan Palmer, who has a doctorate in education and MFA, uh, Master of Fine Arts, has over 15 years of experience in academic medicine, including leadership positions at U.S. and Caribbean medical schools. Dr. Palmer has appeared in numerous theater and screen production and holds an MFA in acting from the theater school at DePaul University, where he trained extensively in the Spalling Sills style of improvisation popularized by the Second City. Upon transitioning to a career in higher education, he found that his training and work in theater has helped positively inform his everyday work in education. Specifically, he found his extensive training in improvisation could be applied to teams in the work environment to help enhance creativity, communication, and collegiality. <laughs> he loves <laughs> to share these techniques with professionals to help improve morale, increase teamwork, and infuse a sense of play in the workplace. Ryan, welcome to Eliminate Higher Education Podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here, and thanks for the nice introduction. Hope I can live up to it. <laughs> this sounds like real fun. I mean, I've interviewed several presidents, chancellors, and IT people as well. In, in fact, one of my recent podcasts is with the guy who architects the campuses. But this is the first time I've looked at improvisation, education, and workplace efficiency all in the same sentence. So, Ryan, <laughs> tell me about your school of improvisation or thought leadership on improvisation and why you think workplaces in general and higher education in particular can benefit from that. I'll answer the last part of it, and then I'll go kind of give you a little background of how I got here, because the reason you can put it all in one sentence is because I've had a very circuitous kind of career path that that incorporates all of this. But, you know, I think why it's important now more than ever, I mean, I I think the great resignation is a real thing. People, you know, workers are quitting in mass, they're moving on. And it's certainly higher ed is not immune to this. Every workforce sector is. And there's just a lot of options for workers now, especially skilled workers that you'll find in higher ed. I don't have any direct statistics on how it's hitting higher ed, but I mean, just a rudimentary Google of, you know, inside higher ed or something, you'll you'll see the great resignation is a thing. Anecdotally, I talked to colleagues and friends of mine as part of my consulting work in med ed. And I had a colleague, she said, you know, her staff that helps them run their clinical placements, like they've had enormous turnover. They have nobody to help them right now. Nobody. And it's not because she's a wonderful person to work with. You know, I couldn't think of a better person. So this is what this is real. So I think now more than ever, any workplace needs to focus on their human capital. And those are their, their workers. And you need to find ways to keep these people happy that, you know, I think it's not just money because people are quitting good jobs to go do different things. It's not just people who have 
you know, jobs they don't like. It's people who just don't feel they don't feel connected and they feel burnt out. So some of this stuff that I do, I do with my partner, Jenny Christner, is, you know, it really is about giving people a sense of creativity and play and infusing that back into their day-to-day life. And we do it in these groups so people can experience it and hopefully go back and apply it. We've had some good feedback on that. So, yeah. so that's kind of why I think it's important uh, now more than ever. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think just the fact that when you dig deeper into the great resignation and also why people are quitting, you're absolutely correct. People are not quitting because they don't make enough money. Some people are not quitting because they don't like their job. They actually like their job. They make enough money, like for example, nurses, but there's a burnout situation. And one can argue that the burnout is because of overwhelming amount of work, and which might be true, especially with somebody like nurses. But a lot of times a burnout is the mundaneness of it all, where if you try to do the same thing again and again, even if it is building a rocket ship, you get like, eh, this is something I can do it in my sleep. I'm no longer excited about it. I'm no longer engaged about it. And I've always thought as a CEO of end-to-end services, the way to like mix things up, if you will, is by moving things around and making it a more of a matrix team so that the DevOps team member does this. But I've never considered improvisation as a way to improve workplace efficiency. Can you talk to us a little bit about like how you know, with, with workplace, how we can do that? Are we thinking, you know, making skits or are we yeah. thinking, you know, role-playing with a customer? So let me back it up a little. And as you said, in my introduction, you know, my, I started my career in professional acting. I mean, I wasn't ever very successful at the professional part because I, I, you know, I decided I wanted to do something different kind of right when I got out. But regardless, I was trained at DePaul University's theater school of, it used to be called the Goodman School of Drama. So a very famous old school. And the roots of improvisation really are in Chicago. So I talked about the second city. If you unpack it, really it goes back to a woman named Viola Spolin, who was working at the whole house back in the depression kind of era, or she was working with somebody and working with basically like immigrant families and children on the West side of Chicago. And the, you know, it was one of the work for the Roosevelt workforce kind of things. And it was all about bringing these people together. So she had this job working with these groups and essentially learned that because there's differences in language and, and whatnot, but she started creating these games, right? She created these games for these students as part of her job. And then she found a lot of success. So she created what became improvisation as we know it. So we think of improvisation, second city, you think of something like Will Ferrell or something that all really goes back to this stuff, which was this game playing with non-actors, right? And really it was, you know, like with any game, you play basketball, there's rules to basketball, right? You can't double dribble, you, there's a shot clock. Well, there's rules to improv too. And, and yeah. you often don't know that. And so she basically overcame language barriers with these, these children, basically said, here's the rules, play the game. And she really fostered that sense of play and overcame these barriers. Her son was named Paul Sills. He trained in this, and I'm oversimplifying this, but essentially he took that, took it to the next level. The Goodman School of Drama was connected to that. And then that was really within mm-hmm. the DNA. So game playing, sense of play, and it was used to unlock the person's creativity. Viola Spolin felt everybody could do this. Everybody. Everybody right. can improv. You can improv. I can improv. It doesn't matter if you're a talented actor, if you're not talented, because it wasn't about being an actor. It was about playing games. 
And that's the training that I received. So when I went to DePaul, I really kind of thought I was a hotshot actor. I was coming from, you know, undergrad in California mm-hmm. and had a lot of trouble with this stuff. I had a master teacher named Rick Murphy, who's, if you talk to anybody who's gone through DePaul's program, they'll talk about Rick. He's just a massive influence. He's a mentor and friend to John C. Riley, who's a very famous actor and a wonderful improver. You can, you know, see his work in that. Anyway, I was able to work with him for two years of my three there and really learned a lot. It was very, very hard for me, extremely hard because it was hard for me to keep it simple and play these rules. And you sure. know, I won't go into the details, but I had this epiphany moment with him where he really was kind of putting the nails to me. And he just said, just play the game, just play right. the game, play the game. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Don't <laughs> go in. And so... Long story short, that stayed with me. Now, fast forward to in my last job before I came to consulting, I was a associate dean of medical education at Northeast Ohio Medical University. And the dean asked all of us to do these team building things. And I got tasked with it, you know, and right. there was a, a lot of room to improve communication and morale <laughs> and sense of play in that place. Not unlike other places, but really that place could use it. And I, I, I frankly, Karen, I, I didn't know what to do. I was, I was kind of right. like... I was like, uh, what am I going to do? And I think the theme was Valentine. It was like this time last year. She's like, it's got to be something you love. And I'm like, love, love. What? I, okay, well, I love acting, right? Even though I don't do it sure. anymore. So I went back to it. And then I said, you know, I'm going to do this improv in the office. I'm going to apply these basic rules of improv. And I'm going to apply them to this office space. And I'm going to do things. You said, you know, do you make people go up and do skits? No, because I went back to what Viola Spolin thought. See, I hate team building stuff, frankly. I don't like <laughs> me as a, as a person. I'm like, I'd be terrified. And I knew other people would be too. I said, look, let's go back to where these start, which are games. Everybody can play games. These people can play games. The most sour person in the room could play a game just as much as the most enthusiastic. And we're going to, I'm going to just see. And I thought it would honestly fail miserably. So I did it. And I structured it in a way where people weren't going to feel threatened and people are just going to play games. And I got to tell you, it was amazing. Like, like right. people loved it. It was the most like collegial I've ever seen that group of people and probably ever did again. In fact, I just was last weekend, I ran into a former coworker there who said, I was just talking about this. This is a couple of years now, like about that amazing improv workshop you did. And we were just talking about it in the office. <laughs> so that's where I got this idea. And then now I'm collaborating. I can get into the story if you want about how I met Jenny, but yeah. we're trying to do this now. It's, it's just like a passion gig, like something like we go, like we like to work with higher ed because that's where we come from. I mean, specifically academic medicine, but it can apply it anywhere. Yeah. And we just like to kind of go in and, and we want to work with faculty retreats, administrative retreats, staff retreats, whatever retreats, and, and just teach them the rules of improv, help them apply them by playing the games, and then help them translate that over some case studies that mm-hmm. are germane to what they're doing and then really leave them with a sense of toolkit saying, Hey, now when you go back into your meetings, think about, you know, yes. And as a rule, think about right. how you learned it, you applied it in the game setting, and then you thought about it in the context of your work, keep this in you and it will improve your communication. It should improve your collegiality with one another and hopefully will just make you feel more creative and empowered at work. Everything you're saying is so relevant. Definitely to a IT workplace and obviously higher education. Now I'll talk about both of them because end-to-end serves higher education, but we're also in an IT capacity. We provide an integration platform for higher education. So from an IT perspective, you know, the characterization that 
most of the technical folks are, for lack of a better word, nerds or introverts mm-hmm. is somewhat true. Obviously, like anything else, it's all broad strokes. And that's one issue. And then even with higher education, when you look at a faculty member who's a professor with, I don't know, several degrees and 30 years of experience, they're not really open to new ideas. I'm kind of surprised and interested in this, but you're absolutely correct. I think the solution for the great resignation or Zoom burnouts is probably getting that dopamine rush from trying something new and getting excited. So I understand that the concept, but how do you get them? Like, let's talk about higher education, because if you think about it, they're very administrative, they're very hierarchical, they're very much siloed in their way. How do you break out of the silo and say, Bursar, Registrar, Provost, you do this workshop with me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How would they work work together? Obviously, you have to have them in the room together. And we did this just last in the early summer, we went to a DO school in California. And, you know, this was like you're talking about people who were siloed. You had faculty, staff, administration, and there have been some firings that had happened. And this is a small school, too. So, I mean, there there was some tension there and it's palpable, you know, and it's kind of like we walk in and who are we? Here we go. We're going to do an improv workshop. People are like, uh uh-uh. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, you see them like literally. I don't have time for this. You know? I don't have time for this. And what they're worried about, often, is that they're gonna, like you said, introvert. They're gonna be made to do something that they don't want to do. So we start with is we kind of acknowledge that. And I like to start with anti-objectives. You know, you say here's the objectives for today. I said here's the anti-objectives. Anything we do today is not meant to make you feel uncomfortable. You're not gonna have to do things you don't feel comfortable doing. We're not trying to force an agenda down you, trying to make you, you know, actors. We're not trying to put you out. Basically just saying, look, you don't have to do any of this stuff. But so just let's put that out there. And, and that really kind of often helps. And then I give a little background to it. And I'm up there again. Jenny Christner is kind of the person I like to do. The, she is the dean of Baylor School of Medicine and has an improv background. You can talk about how we got together if you want a bit. But we're up there. So, you know, there's some legitimacy and people say she's a dean. I was a dean these guys understand kind of, these aren't just like, you know, what happens sometimes you get these improv troops in, they do great, but the people don't, they're threatened by that. They're like, these are actors. They don't really understand it. And they're going to make me feel stupid. So we kind of just deflate it. Then I give a little history. Like I gave you about Viola Spolin. So look guys, like this is not rocket science. This is improv. And this started back here with little kids who didn't speak English. Right. And so it's built for everyone could do it. So Right there, you can do this. And then second, then I get into the rules of improv, right? So I basically say, you know, improv is essentially, you know, you're going up there and you're playing a game and you have some basic rules that you can't violate. Now, the games are all kind of different. And I'll talk about some of those, but there's certain underlying rules to all of them that if you violate them, the improv will fall apart, right? And then we kind of put that back towards You know, if you violate these types of things in the office and communication, often your communication will fall apart. So the basic, you know, rules, and I think these are pretty, these are the ones that play the best, I think, for an office space, but essentially there's four rules. One is say yes, yes, and make statements, and there are no mistakes slash no judgments. So, and quickly to go through those. So what's that mean? So say yes. Basically, in improv, you have to always agree, say yes. 
So if you and I go up and do something and I say, hey, Kieran, that's a nice hat you're wearing. If you say, I'm not wearing a hat because you're not, right? I'm looking at you now, you're not. But if you said, I'm not, it's it's done. You don't say, you can't say, you said, thank you very yes. much. Yes. Thank you very much. Right. Yes. Yes. I am wearing a hat and, and I really like your, your coat. And then yeah. I, of course, I'm not going to say, what do you mean coat? This is a, a vest, you know? No. Okay. So yes. Thank you very much. This coat was made by somebody who also makes hats or something. And then we, and then it kind of, it goes right. And how so, long should be this kid? An improv. So it's called long form improv for a reason. Like, so the, the, at the purest level, this, like if you're doing this, like in a, in a long form, it lasts until it doesn't. I mean, right. with a good teacher, he or she'll stop you when it's kind of done. If they have a natural progression, but there's guys, guys in general, guys and women, but there's two improvers. Actually, uh, I used to watch an improv Olympic in Chicago. The one guy he's on the blonde guy on all those Sonic fast food commercials. And the other guy, Dave Pasquese, he's in a, book above a fet right now i saw him. anyway these guys they would do like literally go up there and for like an hour just mm. improv drew carey yeah. had the show also right on uh, yeah he had yeah yeah so some of that stuff that's more like kind of quick stuff but long form it's really like it can go anywhere and it doesn't have to be funny either like mm. often it is sometimes it's not what it is though it's when you are doing this the whole goal of it is you're focused on the rules. So yes, we're going, going. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say to you next because I don't know. I'm just reacting. Yeah. And when that happens, it's very, very engaging as an audience member to watch. What's engaging is people are actually behaving. So if you think about it, like in the workplace, oftentimes you come into a meeting, you come into a Zoom thing, you come into a presentation, you've got an agenda. And you're waiting for that guy over there to, to pepper you with a bunch of questions because he's got an agenda. Right. And this woman doesn't like you or you're already kind of tense and you're not there. You're not actually communicating. You're not in the mm. moment, right? Part of doing this is like, here's what it feels like to be in the moment. And you kind of let go and, and you're doing it with people you work with. And it really, it's, it's engaging, right? So you basically, a typical workshop is, Everybody's watching, right? So we have a team meeting. So we say, Joe and John, you do an improv and you have five minutes. Go. Nope. And nope, with, no. with those rules, no? No, it's it's much more structured because I would actually put a lot of pressure on those two people to like to come up with stuff. I keep it really simple. I, I keep it and I keep it very much based in groups. So it it depends. But I mean, the last one we did for probably a group of maybe 60. Mm-hmm. We basically had them, you know, Jenny and I are up in front and I kind of do the presentation. We talk about those rules that I'm talking about. We demonstrate some of them and we talk about how they relate back to the office. Like for instance, say yes. In the, you know, in the workplace, you're not always going to say yes to everything. You can disagree. Right. What you do, you respect what somebody says. So I'm not thinking, you, you know, this guy is an idiot and I don't believe any, whatever he mm-hmm. says, I'm going to disagree because I don't, I don't think he's very competent you know, you take what he says and maybe, okay, interesting. You know, that's what saying is. So we talk about that. Then what we do is we move into games. So, and then I said, okay, now we're going to apply them. And I usually do them as a group rather than putting people up in front. I mean, it just kind of. Sure. I like the idea. I like the idea of putting a structure and also, yeah, I can see how it can put spotlight on a couple of people. If you just say, yeah. John and Joe, you, you do it. How long is a typical workshop? Is it, let's say, if we are a group of 20 people, how long does it take to orient this group? 
And how how many games? Is it like a four hour workshop? Is it a two hour workshop? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? I think I think at the minimum, it's good to have about three hours an afternoon or something because the first part, a lot of it is that introduction. It's almost like you're kind of like a lesson, right? So you're hearing us talk and demonstrate and setting the kind of concept. The second hour is really about the game playing, which is a lot of fun. And people want to keep going with that. And we're still playing with the right mix, but roughly an hour. And you'd be surprised. These games are really simple, but right. you only can do a few of them because people get into it, you know, and then we right, right, of work on it and talk to people. How'd that feel? Do you see how that concept was there? Because often too, I'll have those rules and I'll try to get a game for each rule, you know, roughly. So they can kind and, of feel like- And you and Jenny will be on site when that's happening, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're not doing it over remote or Zoom or anything it's, like that. Yeah, it's it would be it doesn't really work, frankly, yeah. remotely. It's something that really has to happen in person. It's it's in sure. you know. So. No, I understand. I mean, especially with something this, you know, for lack of a better term, intimate, because you have to look at the body, you have to look at what their react physical reaction to things are, you know, what yeah. their emotions look like. You can't you can't do that over Zoom. It no. defeats the purpose. But I think the more you talk about it, definitely I see a need for something like this for my team yeah. as far as you know my own team building i don't even want to use a team building you're absolutely correct like every team building efforts i, I was involved with when i was at had my full time employment were all like crap stuff you know it wasn't yeah. it was kind of almost like trying to say well write the mission statement in right. your own words type stuff it's like people always make stuff up when you when you do that so we've been trying to do interesting things like uh, when we had a revigorate last month, we I took my team to Starter's gun range and we all shot guns in a gun range, of course, in a yeah. very protected setting. We had a team event at Aquarium. So we do a lot of cool things, but I think there is an opportunity for us to, as a team, to do this improv, to break some people out of the shell because that's something that we constantly battle and some people to push them more into a leadership position. But from a higher education perspective, I can see applications of it many ways. It can be to build a better team inside an office like the registrars and the bursar. It can be interdepartmental collaboration because there's a lot of politics between the departments right. where people come with preconceived notions. But more importantly, even within the classroom, for example, somebody's trying to teach chemistry, they can say, you know, let's do an improv where your hydrogen molecule and your oxygen molecule. I can imagine them doing some cool skit like that to make people understand chemistry or physics, stuff like that. Do you think? Yeah, you can. See, the, the thing is, once you kind of get the basic rules down, you can kind of do anything. Like like I said, the, you say yes, yes, and make statements. There are no mistakes. Once you internalize those, sure, you can do a game or you can just apply those concepts in real time, like stop and say like, yes, and right. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to build off of what you said. So like in the yes, and is something to a rule where you say, yeah, I'm wearing a hat. And my, my, you know, my mother was a hat maker, you know, so you, <laughs> right. Oh, your mother was a hat maker. My brother is a car maker and, but he, yes. he's into hats. And, and so <laughs> what that is, is it's kind of like, it's instead like in the office, like you say something, I'm just say, okay. I say, that's a great idea. What about this? You know, right. now, now we're kind of working together. So 
it doesn't look like you have to do it every day, but it just kind of infuse. It's like you get the feeling for it and you infuses your, your day-to-day work. And yeah, it'd be great if people, as long as they understood those rules and they kind of did it in a way that engaged those audience, I think it would be, you know, something that people could do on their own. Certainly we encourage, we hope that the people that we work with are, are inspired by it and apply these rules to their work after we leave, you know? Sure. No, I agree. I mean, again, I did not know anything about improv before, and I always thought it was for actors until now, but the more you speak about it, I can totally see how we can benefit. Like, again, I have two kids and one of them, my son is a senior in high school now, and we do this when he prepares for a debate or a mock trial. He, he used to go to mock trial and he's, he's an attorney. And whenever you do a debate or a mock trial, you have no idea whether, which position you're playing. But even with mock trial, you know what position you're doing on the case, but you don't know how the witnesses respond to your questions. Yeah. So what we always do is say, okay, well, I'll be the witness and you'll be the attorney and you ask me some questions. Now I'll role play in a cooperative manner. Now I'll role play in a defensive manner yeah. and I'll role play in a confrontational manner. And every time, like it's almost like a new world opens. The more we yeah. do it, the more I get better, you know, as a performer, if you will, not an actor, mm-hmm. but just somebody who's working with him. You have to listen to the other side. You have to react mm-hmm. to the other side and you have to be attentive. Those are the three skills you need to yes. make a customer happy or a colleague happy. So absolutely, I'm convinced that's the right strategy. I love yeah. what you're doing. Improv only works if you do it. It's a purely, it's action oriented. You can't wax poetical about improv or analyze it too much even. You just have to do it and it either works or it doesn't. And that's what's cool about it. That's why I think the differentiator between some other team building things, you know, look, there's other great ways to team build. What happens is if it becomes too intellectual, it's, it gives people an opportunity to distance themselves emotionally. And I speak from my own experience because I will do this anytime. Cause I, I, like I said, I don't really like that stuff. When you're doing these improv games, you, you got to just do it. You know, you, you, you're doing it and, and you're doing it in a way where it's not just all you and everyone's watching you. Like we do a, a real simple games to start off, like count to 20 and you get a group and they close their eyes and they have to count to 20 without negotiating who's going to say what. So one, two, and, and if they, someone speaks over them, you got to go to the beginning. So that's really about that listening and you're getting into this awareness. And then it's, it's funny. So you are doing it. You are doing it. You're not thinking about it. And once you're done, you're like, well, that was cool. It kind of like charges you up. So I think that's, what's cool about it. And yeah. And then it, yeah. and it gets kind of in your bones and you're like, that was fun. You know? And then you, and then I kind of, we kind of, make them sillier and sillier. And I usually end with something where people are actually like doing a little kind of like improv. Again, I'm, I always put myself in everyone's shoes and say like, how would I feel if I'd never done this before? And I was asked to do this, but I feel really embarrassed. And because of, the more embarrassed you feel, the less you're going to do and do it in a way that it, it ramps up. So by the end, people are really having a good time and they want to keep going, you know? And so, yeah, again, as I said, uh, there's a lot of power here and you can apply to corporate world, you can apply to nonprofit world, you can apply for K through 12 or K through 16. I know you mentioned Jenny Christner yeah. a couple of times. Talk to me about how that collaboration works. Tell me about the story on her innovation and how you are working with her um, as yeah. part of a collaborator slash a co-founder. Uh, just talk to us about the relationship there. Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, when I first did this back at Neomed, I, I did it by myself and I, and I really realized I'm like, you can do it, but it's fun when you have somebody else, one, we can bounce stuff off and really improv. It takes two people. So it's, it's better, you know, to have another person. I really need a kind of like a partner in crime. And so Jenny, I mean, so she is, like I said, she's a Dean at Baylor school of medicine, but she also has a very robust LinkedIn presence and she does consulting on the side. Right. And so, and I'm doing consulting in, in medical education space. So I just reached out to her. I'd never met her before. And all my years working in med ed, I never run across her. And I just shot her in a message on LinkedIn and say, Hey, it's interesting what you're doing. Love to hear more. Tell you what I'm doing. I do that all the time. Right. And just networking. And it was one of those things when we, we did a zoom thing, we just instantly hit it off. She's just a really yeah. cool. She's like very unlike any other Dean I've ever met in med ed, which was, I think, cool and like a little disarming and in a good way. And then we had this creative energy kind of there. And then she, I think did theater back when she was an undergrad, maybe as a kid, I think she just finished it was taking formal improv courses at an improv place in Houston where she lives. So she was doing it. I'm like, Oh, that's great. That's cool. Like, you know, I've got extensive training in improv and like I, I do these workshops and we said, I think we said, you know what, we should do this together. Why don't we like do a thing together and we'll do improv in the office. I told her what I did a little bit and she kind of had done some stuff too, but it hadn't quite worked. And so I said, well, let's do something together. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go talk to the people around the country, maybe who do med ed, because we know how sour some of these offices are, especially with the or doctors. I mean, there's a lot of politics, friction, confusion. Yeah, just, people were anger, burned out because of yeah. COVID, you know? So it's like, okay. So then two weeks later, she shoots me a message. Like, I think we got, we might have a gig. <laughs> I, I have a friend who's a Dean over at this, this DO school in California and they they need, they wanted to do some team building thing. And I mentioned it and she wants to talk. And so we talked, we pitched it, and we did it. So, so, you know, Jenny and I had never physically met until we actually arrived at the DO school, which was crazy. At some point I'm like, do you know how nuts this is? Like we just, talked for 30 minutes. We did a couple back and forth, like on zoom where we put together a presentation and we said, okay, let's do this. And this, I took naturally more of the improv stuff, like, because I have the more training in it, even though she does too. And then she took a lot of the back end, which is like the, at the end we do case studies because she's got a lot of authority, I think, and being a Dean and ha- understanding the politics. So she brought in the cases, but we collaborate on it. And then we just kind of showed up and did it. And so then we just had a blast, you know, we really had a blast together. We said, let's just do, do this. And, you know, it's not part of my regular consulting work. I do for my, my day, my regular job at Kennedy and company, I I do different things. Jenny, you know, her day job is a Dean, but she does consulting on the side. So I said, let's just, this will be a passion project for both of us and we'll put it out there and hopefully we can do a couple workshops a year, you know, and maybe Mm. more, who knows? I came back from that more charged and, and my batteries are recharged more than I have in years because it felt so good to go back to my acting roots, but then apply it in a, in a way that was relevant to my career path. And then yeah. also to see people like happy like that. It's a feeling I think of any teacher seeing people, you know, students making connection. When you see people do this and it works, mm-hmm. it's really magical. Like it's yeah. so fun to see people who had never done this laughing and having fun and being silly and not feeling self-conscious. And then, you know, and give it just saying thank you. That really was different than I thought it would be. And I thank you. You're absolutely correct. That the pulling people out of their shells is the most important trick. It's almost like riding a bike, if you will, because yeah. until you know how that you can ride a bike, you 
you will not know how to ride a bike, but it opens a new dimension for you. Because yeah. if you stay in your shell, the world is a completely different place. And once you break out of it, especially with something creative like this, there is no there's going no back. limits to what you can achieve. And, there, and there's absolutely no going back. It's like you're learning how to ride a bike and you're saying, I don't know how to ride a bike anymore. It, it never goes away. It can be, you can be 90 years old and you forget your kid's name, but you'll still know how to ride a bike. Yeah, <laughs> so you know, you're right. Same. Yeah. You, you are absolutely right. And I believe that because I've experienced it. When you touch into this place, I think it's like flow or something. It's like when you touch into the flow of an improv and feel yourself out of your shell, but not because you're like, I need to get out of my shell. And here's an icebreaker. It's really like I was out of my shell in a different place. You and I'm not going it. back. It can be like this. You know, work, maybe work can be like this more than just going in and grinding it out in another awful meeting. You know, it just kind of like it lets the genie out of a bottle. And I, I think it, it changes things. And I say this because, frankly, ironically, I think my acting career never really took off because doing the improv felt like the, the most pure form of performance I've ever done. And I just, I, I couldn't go back. I was like, I don't know if I could, <laughs> you know, this level of creativity was so good. I, and I just, I just never, I'm like, you know, when I was auditioning for roles and stuff, I just didn't feel it. I felt like this doesn't feel like that. And I, I know that's not the greatest attitude towards it, but. But I, I understand the feeling. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like touched the sun with my wings, you know, and it burned. And it's funny. <laughs> so let's talk about that. I know you talked a little bit about the Kennedy consulting company yeah. and your, a role as a higher education consultant mm -hmm. and also your role as an improv and how you're trained to merge them together. Can you talk to us a little bit about like what drives you, what makes you feel like you get up in the morning and say, I want to do this. Tell us about your own pursuits and passions, if you will, where you're yeah. taking your acting career, you're taking your higher education consulting career and merging this in this most creative way possible. Yeah. Well, I think you said it creativity. I mean, the creative act is one of, I just, it's an exciting place to be where you're creating something from nothing, not just an improv, but in anything, I'm always drawn to creative problem solving. It's just always been an area I like. I want to do things that I feel have a, a meaningful impact and help people be happier. I sounds simple and maybe a little hokey, but it's true. And if I look back, cause my career is crazy. I look, you know, I did acting and stuff and I really believe doing it like, you know, there, I had moments where you're watching a show and you create, you have a catharsis moment where you see yourself through this art. It can happen with visual art or anything. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to, those experiences that I've had, I want to, through my work, help other people. And at some point I, f I felt like, okay, I'm not sure if I can do that to that extent. So I got into education and then with medical education for all those years, I was really driven one, you know, I, I took over, you know, even if anything is creative problem solving, because it's get, making something better to help. If I was trying to create a problem solve to make a group of people a lot more money so they could screw a bunch more people, that is not the kind of thing that motivates me. But if I'm like, how can I make this better to help where it's going to make people feel better about what they do? Or, or like when I was in med ed, a lot of what I, I've always done is working for trying to get more primary care physicians out there. I worked in family medicine, also rural education. I'm not a rural person, but I've always done things that have been focused on trying to get more rural docs out there because those populations need them so bad. So those are, that's what motivated me there. And then 
ironically, as I got higher up in my academic career as, as a dean level, I felt I was farther and farther away from like doing things that I felt like were really helping. They were kind of managing and putting out fires and doing big things, but I wasn't like meaningfully making a difference. So getting from my perspective, so getting to consulting, I was like, I want to get back to where I was earlier in my career. I'm actually, here's some problems and here's how I think I can help schools solve those problems, right? And be better. So I do stuff with accreditation, created some software that's helps people be more organized with clinical site placements and stuff. That actually excites me. Cause I'm like, look, now it's, I got to convince people to buy it, but it's like, look, I know this will help you a lot. Mm. I've, I wish I had this help. So that's kind of what motivates me. And, and then I think to the last thing, this, this improv thing, why I felt so charged though, I just can't describe when you see people like that happy and playing that are not used to it. It is, it's magic, man. It's just, it's, yeah. and I know those people are feel better about themselves and their jobs and their next, the, and the next day because of that work, that really gives me a sense of purpose. So I agree. Yeah, this is great. Ryan, thank you so much for all you do. And I really appreciated the conversation. Ryan, thank you for joining the podcast. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'll give you a link too if anyone's interested in finding out more about the workshops Jenny and I do, I'll give you a link to that because on her consulting site, we have a nice little landing page where people can fill out a form if they want to talk to us about doing this work. Because again, it's not just higher ed. This can apply to any workplace, whether it's corporate or non-for-profit or whatever. We just want to get out there and get people playing. We will put all that in the show notes. And I agree with you that corporate world can benefit a lot. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about using you and Krishner, hopefully, for end-to-end as well. We'll include all that information. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Illuminate Higher Education, sponsored by End-to-End Services and our Illuminate app. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. You can learn more about Illuminate app at illuminateapp.com and continue the conversation with us there. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss further, please email them to us at podcast at n2n services.com that's podcast at n number two and services.com thank you